Good evening. I'm Holly Clemente, and I am very excited to be, to be here with you all um, and to share a message that God has given me for all of us tonight. Um, it's always an honor to be here as part of the City Church Missions Conference. This year we have the Missions Emphasis Week, and it's very special to be here because City Church is my home church. I am originally from Madison. I was born here. I grew up here. And I grew up hearing about missions every year here. Um, one of my favorite times of every year at, during my time as a student at Abundant Life was hearing the missionaries. And during the missions conference, missionaries would always come and speak to us, share their experiences, share their adventures tell us what God was doing in various parts of the world. And it was always really, really exciting to me. However, I did not think that I would ever be a missionary. I did not think that I would qualify to be a missionary. I was the shyest person that you have ever met. I do not have an adventurous spirit. I do not like to travel, to learn new things, to meet new people. That all goes very far out of my comfort zone. But all those seeds planted in me from a young age and being able to be in a church that, um, that focuses on the importance of missions and takes missions seriously, it planted seeds in me and made me really excited about the possibility of being part of God's mission in the world. And so shortly before graduating high school, God sort of changed up my whole life plan. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Mexico for a year to teach English at a Christian school. And I suddenly thought that sounded very exciting and like something that I wanted to be a part of. So I did that at 18, two months after high school graduation, I moved to Mexico. And um, shortly into that first year, God made it clear to me that missions was part of his long-term plan for my life, that it wasn't a short-term plan. So I stayed in Mexico. I learned the language. I learned the culture as best as I could. And there I met my husband. My husband is Noe. We were married in 2003, and a week after the wedding, we began working as full-time missionaries in Michoacan, Mexico, which is central Mexico. We're about a 12-hour drive from the Texas border. And God has blessed us with six amazing children who keep us very busy and active. And we currently are working in Michoacan, Mexico, in family ministries and missions. Our heart is to see the church prioritize children as the present and the future of the church. We want children to be loved and valued and spurred on to use the gifts that God has given them instead of being viewed as an inconvenience. We are also passionate about seeing Mexico transition from a missionary receiving nation into a missionary sending nation. So we spend a lot of our time traveling and teaching church leaders the importance of being involved in the Great Commission 
and also training leaders and pastors for children's ministry. So because of that, we do a lot of teaching. Um, I get to preach pretty often with the kids, but very rarely do I get to preach with adults. So this is sort of a new experience for me. Um, when I got the email showing me that I was on the schedule to preach, I, my initial reaction was like, God, someone made a mistake um, because I'm not usually the preacher at these things. But God reminded me that this is about his word and what he wants to speak to us. And so um, I just pray that he uses this moment and this word that he has for us today and, and speaks through me. Um, with everything that has been going on in our world over the last many months now, um, there's so much going on. And I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I feel a little overwhelmed. There's so much to think about. There's so many changes in, in the way we do daily things. And I felt a little overwhelmed asking God, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to speak on? What is the message that you have for us? Um, because I felt like there's, there's so many things to speak to right now. Um, there are so many gaping wounds and uncertainty in our society, in our nation, in the world right now. And um, it just seemed so overwhelming. God, what do you want to speak to tonight? Even the daily things that we used to do, that we used to know how to do, have been upset. And I've been meditating over the last several months and just realizing how so much of what is going on is distracting us from the main thing, from the important thing. There's so much shouting to us from all directions and demanding that we take up a position on all these issues, on all these details, demanding that we join a side and dividing us into different camps. And I think it's just all a distraction for what is most important. Our spirit is most important. Our relationship with God is what is most important. But we've gotten so busy running around and trying to figure out what we believe about this and what we believe about that and where we stand on this issue and if we should join these people over here or those people over there. And it's become a distraction. It's become confusing. And we know if we study the word of God and if we know God, we know that that is not his way. That is not what he wants for us. He is not a God of confusion. He is not a God that brings in all these distractions to try to confuse us. But he is a God of purpose, a God of mission. And he has a purpose for us in this time. In this time of upheaval and confusion, he wants us to focus in on him, to center in on his message for us, on his mission for us as individuals and as the church. 
So as I began to pray and seek the Lord about this message, um, I will admit I was very surprised by his response. He led me to a passage that I never would have picked on my own. I never would have have even thought that it related to this. Um, But we are going to read that passage now. I've titled this message, The Invitation. And I believe that this is an invitation that the Lord wants to give all of us again today. Remind us of his mission, of his purpose, that all these other confusing details aren't part of what he has for us. He has something very specific for us as believers in him and as his children. So we are going to turn, if you have your Bibles, that's great. If you have your cell phones or whatever other device you read the Bible on, I'd like you to get those out and look with me, read along with me. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 31. And this story, I grew up in the church and hearing of this story as the story of the rich young ruler. Um, In in this book of Mark, it actually doesn't tell us that he's young or a ruler, but we know those things from where this story appears in two other gospels. Um, But let's just read it. You can read along with me. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. And this is what it says. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. 
And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that in these times of upheaval and confusion and times when the enemy wants, wants us to fear, wants us to be anxious, we are thankful that you want to speak to us, that you invite us into your presence and you invite us to listen to what you are saying and to see what you are doing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be the one who speaks through me this evening. I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear the word that you have for us and to receive it, to respond to it, Father. We want to respond to what you want to do in us through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to start by sort of going through this story a little bit, verse by verse, and then we will get to the specific message that I believe God wants to speak to us this evening. Um, so starting in verse 17, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in this story, in this verse, we don't know much about this man. We find out in the subsequent verses that he is very wealthy. He has very good economic status. And we find out from the other Gospels that he's also young and he's a ruler, which means he has some sort of position of authority. In the, in the Jewish culture in this time, um, age was often one of the important components of one's status. So it was usually the older men that had more authority, that were looked up to more. But this young man, it tells us that he was young. He was very wealthy, and he was in a position of authority. He was a guy that you would look at and say, he's got it all. He has arrived. He has accomplished much. He is at the top. He was a person that was probably very admired by his peers. And we find out also in the next few verses that he also has done his best to follow God's commandments, to live a righteous life, to treat others the way that biblically, biblically we're supposed to treat them. So he was a young man that 
was admired by his peers. He was that person that you look at and say, oh, I wish I were more like them. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have what he has. And this man comes to Jesus running, which shows an eagerness. He was eager to speak to Jesus, a little bit desperate. It shows us a sense of urgency. He felt it was very important that he speak with Jesus. And so he ran to him. He ran to him because he knew that no matter how the world saw him and how his peers saw him, he knew that there was something missing. He knew that there was this hole in his heart, in his life, that hadn't been filled with all his riches and with his position of authority and all the status that he had among his peers and in his society, he knew that there was something missing. And he knew that Jesus was the one to go to. He, he knew that Jesus could answer his question. I think that we can all relate to this and some of you may say, well, his question was about eternal life, and I feel like I've already settled my eternity with God. You know, I'm, I'm saved. I, I'm living for the Lord. I've settled my eternity. But I think that there's areas in our heart, and this is what God was speaking to me as I, as I sought him in, in prayer about this message, is that there's, there's always moments where we realize that there's things in our life that are not lining up the way that they should be, that God has sort of left the throne of our hearts because we've placed other things there, other idols. And some of those idols are things that we may not recognize as idols, things like our families or our personal safety or sense of security. And those things sort of creep in and become more important to us than God. And they sort of take over that place on the throne of our hearts. And when that happens, we feel these holes in our lives. And sort of in the same way that this rich young ruler who apparently had everything he could ever want... But he knew that something was missing. And I think that even if we are sure of our salvation and we know that that part or we think that that part has been settled, there are moments where we have placed other things on the throne of our heart where only God should be. And these little holes in our lives start to appear. This extra sense of anxiety, a fear about the uncertainty, a fear about the future, fear about our resources, our economy. And Jesus has the answer. Jesus is the answer for all of those holes in our lives.
And this young rich man, he, he, reckoned, he recognized that. We don't know what he believed about Jesus. It seems to appear that maybe he didn't know that Jesus, he didn't recognize that Jesus was God. But he believed that Jesus had the answer for him. And so he rushed to him with urgency, with eagerness. He knelt down in humility and addressed him respectfully, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus does not castigate his question. It says in verse 18, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. He's challenging a little bit the man's theology <laughs> because we'll see later on in the next few verses that this man believes he is good. He believes he has followed all of the commandments since he was very young. And Jesus is sort of challenging that and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's no goodness in you. There's no goodness in any of us because only God is truly good. And then in verse 19, he speaks to the man's perspective and says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. I find it interesting here that Jesus doesn't mention the first commandments that talk about our honor and devotion and our worship to God and God alone. But he mentions the final commandments that speak more about our relationship with other people and how, how we're supposed to relate to other people. So he mentions those commandments. He said, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And the man responds, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Jesus knew that there was something else in, on the throne of this man's heart, that he had replaced God as most important. He was checking off all the boxes, checking off the list of things that he had to do to be a good person, to be a righteous person, trying to do things maybe to earn God's favor and doing all the right things. But Jesus knew that he had in his life that all these rules and regulations had replaced relationship with God. He knew that. And so in verse 21, it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I want to stop right there really quick before going on to the rest of that verse. Because I feel like it's, it's so important to know that Jesus responds to us. He responds to our questions. He responds to our need with so much love. And I think we need to know that because right now, in, in the day and age that we are living in, and all the division that we are seeing and all the, this rally cry to, you know, you have to pick sides. You can't, you have to be one or the other. And that's not 
Jesus' heart for us. And sometimes with all of, all of this, all of these decisions and details and all these things that we're seeing and all this pressure that we're feeling to do the right thing and check off all the boxes and make sure that we are doing the right thing. And we're forgetting how much God loves us in the midst of all this because we're not seeing it through people. Through people, we feel like any move we make that they don't agree with, we're going to be yelled at or criticized or worse. And we need to remember that Jesus is looking at us when we come to him, and he's looking at us with so much love. Jesus loves us, and he's looking at us in the place that we're coming from, whatever Whatever we're coming with, if it's anxiety, if it's fear, if it's sickness, whatever it is that we're bringing to him, he stops and looks at us with love. And in another translation, um, I believe it was the Passion Translation, and it said, he looked at him with tender love. And I just read that, and it just sort of melts your heart a little bit. To, to hear the heart of God towards us. That he, he's not about criticizing. He's not about telling us we're wrong. He's not about telling us you're messing up here. But everything comes out of his love for us. And everything that he speaks to us comes out of his love for us. And he goes on to tell this man with all this love, yes, I know, I know what it is you're missing. And I want to help you because I have this invitation for you. So he says to the man, verse 21 again, it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him and said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come back and follow me. I don't believe that this passage only speaks to financial wealth and possessions. And I don't think that because in the later verses of this passage, when we see Jesus telling us the things that we have to give up to follow him, he doesn't just speak about material wealth. He mentions family and very specifically mother, father, sisters, brothers, children. He mentions them very specifically. He also mentions possessions, but then he mentions house or home. And I don't think he's referring to one building, your house. Especially here in the United States, we tend to have this, this culture where you know, we buy a starter home first. And, and then as we save money and know, have more of an idea of what we want and our family might grow, and then we buy a nicer house, a bigger house. And, and we sort of progress. So it's not so much that we're attached to one house, but it's the feeling of home, the feeling of security, the feeling of comfort that we have in our home that is part of what Jesus asks us 
to give up. So I, I just want to clarify that because I don't want you to think, well, I'm not wealthy, so this doesn't apply to me. This applies to all of us. Because it's not about, in, in this man's case, it was his wealth. It was his possessions. But for all of us, Jesus may speak to us about something a little different that we haven't given up yet. We're unable to fully embrace him because we're still carrying around other things in our arms. And without letting, us, letting those things go, we cannot fully embrace him. And so in this young man's life, it was specifically his riches, his possession. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each one of us tonight and sort of call out those things that have maybe taken over the throne of our hearts, where God should be. When God is there, we're not going to feel these holes of things that are missing. And the Holy Spirit wants to reveal some of those things in our heart. Home, security, feeling comfortable, family. Jesus did not just tell this man to go sell everything he owned and then, and then you'll be good. It'll all be good if you sell all your stuff. But the true invitation was let go of this. And then please come back. Come back and follow me. Come back and walk with me. I want to have relationship with you. I'm offering you intimacy with me, friendship with me. I want you to come back so that you can learn from me and enjoy my company and be with me. He extends the same invitation to each one of us tonight. He's saying, yes, there, there, there might be some stuff in your heart that has taken over that, that throne that God needs to be. But it's not just about fixing that, but it's because he is inviting us to greater intimacy, to greater completion. He's inviting us to participate in the joy that he gives, no matter, no matter the circumstances, no matter the trials, he is joy. He's inviting us to participate in the peace that he brings, no matter the grief, no matter the sorrow, he is peace. He's inviting us into trust, into knowing that he is faithful, that no matter what comes, what happens, he is a faithful God and faithful to his promises. And he is inviting us to be part of that and to have that and to live with all of those things. He just needs to be number one in our hearts. If we let go of the things that have become number one for us. Security, safety, family, health, riches, possessions, status, 
a job, whatever it is. He's inviting us today. Let go of those things. Let go of those things so that you can fully embrace me. And that hole that you thought was there will be filled. Because I can be your everything. Unfortunately, in this story, we read in the Bible the very next verse. It says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. I just imagine just the sadness coming over his face, his head dropping a bit, and just sort of turning away. Just leaving quietly, the Bible doesn't tell us that he argued, that he tried to argue his case and say, wait, but what about this? But he just, he just walked, he just walked away, knowing that he was missing something, knowing that he did not have it all, even though it appeared that he did, knowing that he was lacking something, he did not take the invitation that Jesus was giving him with so much love. And even though the Bible doesn't say it, I have to imagine that with the love that Jesus felt for this man, he also felt a deep sadness when this man walked away. We have the opportunity to respond to this invitation that Jesus is making to us. He's inviting us to let go of all else, to embrace him fully, and then to walk with him, to spend time with him, to know him, to be in his company, to participate in his joy and his peace and his faithfulness and his goodness. If Jesus' question to this man makes me uncomfortable, maybe it's because I'm afraid that Jesus may require me to do something that would cost me too much. This story reveals what we cherish most. It's about the relationship between a person's greatest treasure and the self-denial required to follow Jesus. The man's face fell and he walked away. He knew that there was something missing in his life, but he was unwilling to let go of the things that were in his life in place of God. His money, his possessions exerted a stronger tug on his heart than Christ did. He did want eternal life, but he wanted it as an add-on to everything he already had. He wasn't willing to give up what he had. And, you know, I, I don't think he realized the magnitude. There's, there's no comparison to all earthly wealth and then everything that God wants to give us and everything that God is offering to us. But his heart 
The stronger tug on his heart was those possessions, was his wealth. And even knowing that he lacked something that Jesus wanted to give him, he was pulled more strongly towards his things, towards his possession. What is tugging more strongly on our hearts? Is there something that is taking the place of Jesus in our hearts? And Jesus is inviting us tonight to give that up, to come back and walk with him and follow him. In the next verses, Jesus lays out to his disciples what it looks like to fully surrender to him. He says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed the disciples, but Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? And some of us can think that. I shared at the beginning in just my introduction, I never thought that I could be a missionary, that I could qualify to be a missionary because I wasn't adventurous. I didn't have the character qualities that I thought were necessary to follow God in this way. And Jesus tells us, we see in, in other parts of the Gospels, in Luke 14, 26 through 27, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. In Luke 14, 33, it says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. In Luke 9, 24, it tells us if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This is full surrender. And maybe we, like the disciples, say to Jesus, who in the world can be saved? It's too much. You ask too much. But Jesus responds, He's, he's looking at us with love, wanting to fill those holes, those gaps in our hearts. And then he gives the disciples and he gives us today the hope that we need. Because he says in verse 27, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. See, this young man did not have the strength to let go of the things he was holding on to because God was not in first place in his heart. God was not sitting on the throne of his heart. And that's why he could not do it because he was doing in his own strength, following the rules, checking off all the boxes. And he was trying to do it. 
if it has become dif difficult for us during these times of uncertainty in our world, these times where everything seems to be turned on its head upside down, we don't know what's going to happen one day to the next. And maybe inside of you, you're sort of speaking to God and saying, this is too hard. This is too much. And Jesus is looking at us with love. And he's extending this invitation to us. Just give it up. Give it up. Embrace me fully. Those holes will be filled. And with God back on the throne of your heart, it is possible. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. With God, everything is possible. I'd like to pray with you as we end. I believe that God is using this word to reveal things in our heart that maybe are, have been hidden. Maybe we weren't aware they were there, but we realize now that maybe there's been something that's been taking God's place in our heart. And he's calling us to give those things up, to let those things go, to get all of that other stuff out of our arms so that we can fully embrace him. And then come back and follow him and walk with him and participate in his work in our hearts and in the world around us. When we allow God to occupy the throne of our heart, he does the work for us. His peace is possible in the midst of chaos. His joy is possible in the midst of sorrow and grief. And his invitation to us stands. He invites us to abide with him, to walk with him, to learn from his Holy Spirit. And to enjoy his company, to enjoy him, and not be distracted by everything else, and by taking a stand here and taking a stand over here, but focusing on the mission that he's given us to follow him, to walk where he walks, to go where he goes, to do as he does. Father God, I thank you for this time, for this word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to respond to whatever it is that you're speaking to each one of us individually. And that we would realize that it may be impossible for us in our own strength to let everything go. But when we allow you to have that place in our hearts, on the throne of our hearts, with you everything is possible. And we can let go of those things that are distracting us, that are hindering us, and we can fully embrace you. And we can walk with you. And we can follow you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.